welcome back to the No Walls podcast. This is a podcast about all things human rights and refugee law, including the people working within it and the clients we represent. Welcome back to the podcast. Look, we've, we've had to do this, I think, a couple of times this season where we've had an episode in the bag, recorded, excited to release, and then this government goes and drops another shocker. And, and it's something that we, we simply cannot, cannot avoid and, and, and have to address because of how much it could impact the lives of, of our clients. It's around that, in case anyone had any trouble guessing. T, how, how did you feel when you first heard this news be publicised? A lot of what Preeti Patel comes up with, you think is just fantasy. They say it to get headlines, to change headlines, to move spotlight elsewhere. We always dreaded this idea because it was, you know, it's not new. Um, there was always something that they were looking at, you know, whether it's Albania or Rwanda or elsewhere. They'd obviously put in provisions that they think give them the powers for a while in terms of the inadmissibility stuff and they're all looking to change primary legislation so it's all there right but when it drops as you say in the way they do it big splash the the immediate attack on lawyers and ngos it's it is yeah it's hard to take it's hard to take because it's not just as you say something that affects us and our clients but but in real terms, you know, people, asylum seekers in the UK are, are just now terrified. They're terrified because they look at the news just like the rest of us and they see what's going on in Rwanda and they think, what? I've literally fled a place where I've been persecuted. I've been tortured. I've got through, uh, gone through hell and back and I've got to the UK for, for, for genuine reasons, for good reasons, a family, language, culture, whatever it is. And then they want to they wanna send me to Rwanda? Yeah, it's mad, isn't it? Like, I remember, you remember when you were in the playground and there'd be that, that group of kids that, that really didn't like immigrants and they'd always come out and go, go back to Africa or go back to Asia. I never thought it would actually be our government's policy um, to literally just say, well, you can, you can just go to Africa. And, 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 that's, and, that, and that's the end of it. You're, we're not going to bring you back here, even if you are granted refugee status. Because initially when this was floated, there was talk of offshore processing. Now, this might have just been me being naive, but I thought that may well have meant individuals would be in another country whilst their asylum claim is pending. But if they're then vindicated, they're then brought here, right? So I was I was fully taken aback when I found out that that wasn't the case. Yeah, absolutely. Look, we've got a couple of guests. We're really, really excited about these guests because of what they stand for and what they what they themselves know about the, the situation. Our first guest is Dr. Emily McDonnell. She is the coordinator and advocacy lead at Human Rights Watch UK. Emily is a human rights and refugee advocate and professional with practical and academic experience and expertise in human rights, refugee and international law more broadly. And specifically, she did, before joining Human Rights Watch, um, she completed her doctorate in law at Oxford on the right to leave an externalised migration control. You know, this is all about the idea of externalised migration control. So we're really, really happy that she's uh, agreed to speak to us today. And our second guest is someone that we're going to refer to as M throughout, despite the fact that he has refugee status in the United Kingdom. He's an ex-Duncan Lewis client. Um, but that sort of exemplifies the, the level of fear that a citizen of Rwanda lives in, even if he does get afforded protection outside of his country of origin. And he, he has a first-hand lived experience of, of what life in Rwanda is like, what living in fear of the state is like, and that is what he delves into. But for now, over to Emily, our first guest. Emily, Human Rights Watch documented concerns as to Rwanda before this agreement even came to light. So so why don't you give us a sort of whistle-stop tour of what the organisation's concerns were with regard to the operation of Rwanda before this agreement was even a thing? Rwanda has a known track record of extrajudicial killings, 
unlawful and arbitrary detention, ill-treatment and torture in official and unofficial detention facilities, and abusive prosecutions, targeting critics and dissidents. So we know that Rwanda, the Rwandan government does not tolerate debate, dissent or speaking out against government policies. We know that it cracks down on and stifles opponents and critics. So we have been documenting for many years Rwanda's track record and appalling human rights record. And has this has this been a, a long-standing thing that that they, they they might be able to argue has has changed in recent years, or is that or is, have all indications been that there has been no real positive shift in that regard, even up until today? Just last year, the UK government actually denounced Rwanda's human human rights record before the UN in its Universal Periodic Review, urging Rwanda to model. Commonwealth values of democracy, rule of law, and respect for human rights. So it is the case that even as as early as last year, the UK was criticising Rwanda for its human rights record. And a lot, a lot of people would say, well, we understand that there are a number of issues for citizens of Rwanda in terms of the way they're treated at, at the hands of the government. Um, some people have tried to argue that those concerns wouldn't necessarily be of relevance to, to refugees who, who are being sent to Rwanda by the UK. So what what do you say to those people? Human Rights Watch has documented the abuse that refugees have faced in Rwanda. So in 2018, 12 refugees were shot dead by Rwandan police when they were protesting cuts to food rations. They were unarmed protesters protesting their conditions. And from our position, this, this says to us that asylum seekers could be at risk of abuse were they to speak up about their treatment or their conditions. And relatedly, it just goes more to the point of the fact that the Rwandan government does not tolerate dissent against its conditions or allows people to speak out. So we have real concerns that asylum seekers who are expelled back to Rwanda will be unable to speak out against their abuse and will potentially face abuse in Rwanda. Emily, it's also right, is it, that the repression applies to journalists? Because I can see from your Human Rights Watch report, freedom of expression is massively limited and torture and persecution of journalists is a, is a, is a major thing. So the idea of reports coming out of Rwanda about potential abuse against asylum seekers will probably be limited or it will be spun in a way which suggests it's all very nice. Yes, there's a real risk that the UK government in you know, setting up this agreement won't be able to ensure any any independent oversight because it's a space where the media space is closed, hostile to scrutiny. And as you draw attention to, there's been the persecution of journalists and social media critics. So we have seen several high profile critics, including opposition members, as well as commentators on social media and YouTube and other journalists who have been expressing themselves, critiquing the government, who've gone missing, arrested or threatened. So there's a real risk that there will not be independent media oversight or other forms of oversight. Human Rights Watch, you guys are well-respected. You're a a serious organisation. No doubt the Home Office and the UK government look at your reports when they are analysing and assessing their own country reports as to safety on on return. Your reports and your, you know, anyone can just go on your website and check out what the position is in relation to Rwanda. It's pretty stark. It documents all the things you've set out. Why why on earth do you think the Home Office government has gone down this route when it's so obvious that there are some major problems in, in Rwanda. 
The UK government has been looking for a country which it can shirk its responsibilities onto. It is entirely shifting and externalising its obligations onto Rwanda, and it is telling us and trying to sell the British public that Rwanda is a safe country to send asylum seekers to when it just isn't the case. So this is this is one thing that I wanted to ask you, because as you know, asylum seekers in the United Kingdom come from a, a wide variety of, of different groups, right? You've got individuals who are claiming asylum based upon their political opinion, uh, claiming asylum based upon the, the fact that they were tortured as a result of tribal affiliations, based upon their, their sexual orientation, whatever it might be. Which particular groups, if, if there are particular groups of asylum seekers, would you say are at particularly heightened risk in Rwanda because of what we already know about the way that the Rwandan government operates? Well, as, as you've drawn attention to, while Rwanda is one of the few countries in East Africa that does not criminalise consensual same-sex relationships, in practice, LGBTQ people have reported facing stigma, and we've also documented how authorities have rounded up arbitrarily detained and abused transgender and gay people, among other vulnerable groups, at a transit centre in Kigali. So I would say that LGBTQ individuals are particularly at risk under this arrangement. And it is very concerning that the arrangement allows for anyone arriving irregularly to the UK to potentially be sent to Rwanda, other than unaccompanied minors. The other group that, that potentially could be at risk under this arrangement are, of course, journalists and individuals who oppose or speak out against the government. And Human Rights Watch has also documented the Rwandan government kidnapping Rwandan refugees who are outside the country, as far afield as Australia and Canada, and bringing them back into the country to face trial and ill treatment. So there's a real risk for journalists and individuals who are opposing the government with this regard. Emily, let me play devil's advocate for a minute here, um, because we know what the government will say when all of these things are put to them, either through legal challenges or through some really heavy campaigning. They'll say we've had we've got assurances from the Rwandan government that there won't be these sort of breaches um, of human rights. They'll say that the conditions are, you know, we're satisfied that the conditions are adequate. They'll say that, okay, we've carved out exceptions for those who are being returned. So, for example, they could, although they haven't said that yet, and they may not say that, but they could say that those who are LGBTQ won't be returned there, or those who are obviously have have shown some sort of clear opposition to the Rwandan government will quite clearly not be sent there. And they'll carve out some other exceptions. So what do you say to that? So if, if we're then left with people who are being returned, who don't have any, on the face of it, any real problem with the Rwandan government, so are not seen as anti-government, and the government, the UK government have given these assurances, is there a problem? At the end of the day, this is an agreement where the UK is trying to completely shift its responsibilities and asylum obligations onto Rwanda, 6,000 kilometres away, out of sight and out of mind. So regardless of the exceptions that may or may not be forthcoming to the policy, at its core, this strategy and this arrangement is the UK acting very likely in breach of its obligations to provide protection to asylum seekers that arrive at its shores rather than ensuring that it provides them with protection, it is simply pushing them onto someone else. And that in and of itself is problematic, regardless of any exceptions. Yeah, it's, 
it's the out of sight and out of mind that really concerns us, right? Because they'll dump these refugees in Rwanda and then it will be out of sight because of what you've said about the repression in relation to reporting, journalism, freedom of expression. And we won't really know other than through organisations such as yourself as to what really is going on. And by then, it may be too late for for many, many refugees who will, will have already suffered from grave abuses of human rights. Yes, exactly. And, uh, and, you know, one of the most concerning things about this policy is it's not simply that they're sent to Rwanda for processing and that they then come back to the UK. The UK is entirely washing its hands of people seeking protection at its shores who have no other choice than to come by boat or by lorry or feel compelled to do so and says that you either stay in Rwanda and Rwanda will either deport you or handle your rejected case or grant you status there and you can stay there. They'll never get the chance to be provided protection in the UK under this arrangement. And what what do you know about previous attempts by other other states to try and enforce these sort of agreements and how that's panned out? Because I know that there's been there's been widespread criticism of, of what the UK plans on doing, but I, I know that the UK isn't the first to try this. Yes, so the UK's arrangement with Rwanda is modelled off Australia's offshore regime on Nauru and Manus Island in Papua New Guinea. And indeed, Australia's regime was modelled off the US's processing centre for, for Haitian asylum seekers on Guantanamo Bay. And we know from the Australian regime that this has caused more than eight years of immense human suffering. 12 people have died since the policy began in 2013 due to suicide, medical neglect. So men, women and children have suffered inhumane treatment, as I mentioned, medical neglect and years of indefinite detention, which led to suicides and an epidemic of self-harm. There were also widespread violations against women, including sexual assault, harassment, attempted rape, and all of this was was culminating in severe violations of the right to life, right to be free from torture, inhumane, degrading treatment, and amounted to a violation of arbitrary detention. And so it's just absolutely shocking and and very inhumane that the UK has decided to follow in this path when we know that Australia's regime failed so astronomically. It had incredibly exorbitant costs and it did not have the desired effect of stopping boat crossings. I think that's the that's the main thing, isn't it? I mean, you've even got you've even got Rycroft coming out and saying, look, I, I can't definitively say that this is even going to have the deterrent effect that, that my superiors are telling me that this is going to have. And that and that's someone who's very close closely knit with, with with this whole with this whole sort of idea and agenda. I and mean, one of the worrying things that, that really comes to mind is that other countries might see this and say, right, we could give this a go as well. Um, because there's there's a lot of anti-immigrant sentiment throughout throughout Europe and the world, sadly, right now. And, and, and I mean, what's your take on that? The idea that a lot of people will say, well, England holds itself out to be this, this world-leading democracy, and then they're, they're going down this route, so what's stopping us? Well, this is an incredibly worrying trend, and it's a trend that we've seen for decades, actually. So we have countries like Australia, like the US, like now the UK, who engage in what is known as externalised migration control. So pushing and shifting their migration and immigration control functions onto others. And we've seen Australia's offshore regime, its pushbacks and turnback policies of boats who are travelling to Australia, 
And we've seen that with the with the UK's Nationality and Borders Bill, a real arsenal of these tools of pushback proposals, of offshoring proposals. And there is a real risk that we just continue to see a domino effect that as some states close their borders, others may follow suit even further along, more towards neighbouring countries, as they decide also to introduce these restrictive policies. And indeed, what you've said is that we've already had Denmark looking at Rwanda to see if, if it can set up some kind of offshore processing regime. There's a risk that this will add momentum to others who are thinking of engaging in such practices and policies. Yes, that sort of heaps the the pressure on practitioners and and campaigners alike to to try and ensure that any any potential violations as a result of this agreement are brought to light and brought to light swiftly. Because if this is then implemented and seem to have been implemented with with relative success in terms of having this deterrent effect and and no human rights abuses being being documented because they simply can't be documented, it's that classic out of sight, out of mind thing. Then you might you you probably then do see other countries trying to get away with it a bit more. Priti Patel over the weekend came out and said, well, you can sit here and, and sort of piss and moan about this plan, but no one has any other viable solution. So I challenge you to come up to me and give me a better solution than this. Now, that took me by surprise when I, when I heard that, right? Because working firsthand in this area, we know firsthand about all of the, all of the organizational shortcomings within, within the Home Office and, and, the, and the base level things, that their policies, in fact, if you read them, could actually be capable of being relatively swift in terms of decision-making and so forth, but they're not implemented as such. Right? I was just wondering what your take is on that, um, the idea that there simply isn't another solution to this. This just isn't the case. The only way to reduce deaths at sea, to stop irregular crossings, to break the people smuggling, trafficking models, which is what the government is saying that they're doing, the only way to do this is to provide safe routes for people to come to the UK to seek asylum to reunify with their family members. There is just a complete lack of safe routes for so many people from various nationalities who are who are compelled to cross the English Channel. There, there's a lack of safe routes for them to travel and to reach here for a whole host of reasons. And, you know, we saw, even in the case of, of Afghanistan, we've seen the government set up safe routes which then are not implemented properly, they're not operationalised properly, and we saw an Afghan soldier who, on the day when 27 people drowned last year, there was an Afghan soldier who worked with the UK government who had to make that very dangerous crossing. So it really is safe routes, but nonetheless, the UK needs to provide access to asylum at its borders. It has an obligation to not turn people away and not to expel them and to treat them with hu- with humanity and with dignity. And as you say, this comes all down to the Home Office's own procedures and policies. Couldn't, couldn't agree more. And given that you are the, the UK advocacy and comms coordinator for a massive organisation, I can't think of anyone better to ask. Um, what what should we do going forward to, to highlight the fact that, that our politicians are saying that people shouldn't come here "Quote unquote illegally and should be using safe routes. How do we highlight that there are no safe routes? How do we how do we highlight exactly what these concerns are with what will happen when people go to Rwanda? How how do we sit here and oppose this? Because having spoken to a lot of people with this endless barrage, when it comes to the bill, when it comes to the Commons telling the Lords, no, 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 we're not, we're sending this back to you. When it comes to now saying we're sending people to Rwanda after Brexit, people feel defeated. People do some. A lot of people are sitting here thinking." It doesn't matter what we say. It doesn't matter what we do. They, they're going to go ahead with this anyway. What, what do you say to those people? 
I think we need to keep up the fight against both these kind of arrangements and against the Nationality and Borders Bill and any other future laws that seek to close the UK's borders to asylum seekers in a way that breaches the UK's international obligations. On an individual level, people need to continue to express their absolute disagreement and disdain for this offshore policy with Rwanda write to their MPs and also let them know that they will not stand for the Nationality and Borders Bill. And more broadly, I think we can build on the public momentum that is growing around Ukrainian refugees. So we have seen the people of the UK open their hearts and open their homes to Ukrainian refugees. And I think that this is a real momentum that we can build on to say that the people of the UK, they care about asylum seekers when they have all of the right facts they care and they and they do agree that the UK should be stepping up and sharing responsibility in the global refugee regime for people who have no other option and have, have gone through immense horrors and immense suffering before even getting to the UK. So I think we need to really be be honing that passion and that commitment within within the UK. And of course, this this all comes back to the need for legal challenges as well the need to be challenging whether this arrangement complies with the UK's legal obligations, whether it meets the UK's own definition for what a safe country is, as well as challenging individual removal cases if we get to the point where individuals start being um, sent to Rwanda. And in terms of Human Rights Watch and and the efforts of Human Rights Watch, for those of our listeners who don't necessarily know how to keep up to date with that and and how to follow Human Rights Watch, uh, where, where where can all of this stuff be found and how do people stay up to date with what you guys are doing? Yeah, definitely just jump on our website. It's just www.hrw.org and you can sign up to a number of different mailing lists. And we also have accounts on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook that you can also follow. Dr. Emily McDonald, thank you very much. Thanks so much for having me. And now over to our second guest, N. And how are you? Yeah, I'm all right. Thank you. Well, thank you very much for joining us at such short notice. Now for our listeners, N has a a lived experience in Rwanda and is now a refugee in the United Kingdom. So we thought it would be particularly insightful to get N's view on the manner in which the the Rwandan state operates and, and particular human rights abuses that are of concern in Rwanda. So, and very briefly, I spoke to you about this before we started recording, but what the Home Office in the United Kingdom is proposing to do is individuals who are arriving into the UK by way of boat, the Home Office is going to select a few of those. They haven't said exactly how they're going to select those people, but they're going to select some of those boat migrants and they're going to be sending those individuals to Rwanda. And it seems as though at this initial stage, their asylum claims will be processed in Rwanda. And if they get some form of status, they have to stay in Rwanda. They don't get the opportunity to claim asylum in the UK and they don't they don't ever come back to the UK. That seems to be the crux of the plan. So what's your what's your initial initial thought process and your initial view when you hear that? When, when I hear that, first of all, I was shocked for the country like the UK who know really very well Rwanda, who know who say there's a human rights in this country and then who try to do like something because they will use even the money because we need to give money to Rwanda to accept it, to do that. My mind was uh, said, it's not going to work. It's good for the Rwandan government because they got money, but it's bad for the people who was in need of protection. 
it, it's interesting you say that because that was the reaction of a, a lot of people who initially heard about this. But as a result of that reaction, the UK government and Rwandan foreign ministers have come along and said, well, actually, Rwanda has a pretty proud history of, of ensuring that refugees are given protection in Rwanda and individuals are then integrated socially and economically into Rwandan society. Now, of course, people are going to make those noises, but why, why is it that your initial reaction is, I'm, I'm quite worried and, and this is bad for refugees? What, what is it about your understanding and your knowledge of the way that Rwanda is that makes you feel that way? Yeah, for me, the first of all, the people, they need to know Rwanda how it is. Rwanda, it is a small country. The second, they speak Rwanda, the Rwandan language called Kenya Rwanda. It's quite a language, even we born there, but we don't speak really well that language. It means that language they use everywhere, even if you work, even if you go to find the jobs, you need to speak that language. Yeah, for the language, it's no problem because Rwanda now they can speak French. If you speak French, you can, you can speak French. If you speak English, you can speak French, English. If you speak Swahili, you can speak Swahili. Uh, but my worry was, uh, if you look at the, the UK government, how they published on July last year, there was talk about how they will regret Rwanda. They didn't support them. Recommendation they was give them for transparency, independent investigation about irrigation for human rights, and then about the people who died in the custard, the people who disappear every single day about the human rights. The UK, they will say that the Rwanda didn't give them they didn't work to them about that to explain all things. But now, after four months later, UK thinking they can find someone who needs protection here to go to live in Rwanda. The first of all, if they even if they Rwanda they, they, they give him granted refuge there, what do we do there? Which kind of job do we do there? That's my question. Rwanda, they have so many people who finish studying university, who have a degree, who have a master's, who have everything. They still don't have a job. Rwandan people. If you visit Rwanda, you see images, you say, wow, this is good country, clean. But the people suffer. There's no job. There's nothing. There's nothing you can do. There's no business. The business, it's the people who are in power. Every big company, it's the people who, have, who work for the government or who the government want to be there. That's my, my, my worry for the people who we go there. They start to say that Rwanda, they have like, a, they have a refugee who used to live there, but they are totally different. There's a camp refugee there for the people who come from the, from the public democratic of Congo. That people, they know they are to stay there all life. They are there. UNHCR to find them a resettlement to move from different country. I think even UK, they were there to took people there. I have some people live in Bolton here. I, I, I know them. We used to live, we used to meet in Kigari. UK go there to took them to come. Why? Today, they thinking they can send people to live there. The UK government will say that people who are the target of the, the Rwandan government are those who are critics of the government, those who are, you know, high profile opposition groups, journalists, politically active people who oppose the government. Those are the people who are threatened, persecuted in Rwanda. Refugees who are being sent from the UK, Afghans, Syrians, Eritreans, whoever they are, they, they won't be op opponents to the Rwandan government in the same way as 
you or other people who have suffered from the you know you, you, Rwandan government. So what do you say to that? My answer is uh, two things. The first of all, uh, let me let me talk for the people maybe who come from Africa, especially Eritrea. I think there are so many who came to this country. Eritrea, I've been Eritrea twice. When I was working in Rwanda, I was, I was traveling to Eritrea twice. I know how really that country is really bad. Eritrean people who seek protection in the United Kingdom or different countries in Europe, they suffer a lot for Eritrea. They make long journey to reach in Europe. They pass Sudan, Arabia, Egypt, Italy, France, and then they try to come to UK. It's because they're thinking they can get a good protection in UK more than all countries they pass. Today, you're thinking them to send them to Rwanda. If they find that it's the, the life is difficult there, I know they will be no happy. But how I know Rwanda, you don't need to express if you are not happy what the government did or do. That's how they will get a problem. Because the people who came to seek refugee or to seek asylum in the United Kingdom, so many of them, they have a family here in the UK. Thinking someone come from Syria, the war in Syria, maybe his family in the UK. Today, you send them long journey in Rwanda. What do we do there? There's no language. It'd be difficult to them to learn that language. It'd be difficult to find where they can walk. It'd be difficult for them their life. It's just they'd be so really difficult to them. That leads on to another question that I, that I wanted to ask you. So... I mean, you know this. You know this firsthand. If your asylum claim is being dealt with in England, if the Home Office isn't dealing with that asylum claim lawfully, or if you're being unlawfully detained, you can you can get legal aid lawyers to try and fight your case against the government, right? So you can challenge the delay in processing your asylum claim. You can get a legal aid lawyer to represent you in an asylum appeal against the refusal of your asylum. Um, to challenge the lawfulness of your detention. Now, what's your knowledge of, of the legal system in Rwanda like? Let's say an individual goes to Rwanda and spends a lot longer than they're meant to in this initial reception camp, or they're unlawfully detained, or there's some sort of challenge that they have to that they have to make. How easy is it to hold the state to account? Can you can you do that through the courts, and or does it endanger your safety if you start doing that? I, I give you an example. For example, maybe refugees who are there, who they came, they came refugee. I told you because there are so many in Rwanda. Uh, that people they, because they come from the war, and then where they live in the camp. I think UNHCR, it's who deal with the all processes. But anyone who try to demonstration about how is not happy for UNHCR. They got problems for Rwandan. For example, uh, 2018, the Congolese who live in camp in a place called Karongi, it's, it's in the middle in Rwanda. Uh, the demonstration about the food, they make like a demonstration just to say, ah, we're gonna die. Yeah, we So many of them, they will say they want even to go back in Congo. And then that time was still the war there. But uh, Rwandan police, to make them to thinking how they are no a good place to make any demonstration or to any complaint. So many of them, they shoot them. So many of them, they died. Yeah, you can research, you will find that. 
yeah, that's why it'd be so difficult. So your answer to that question was that there were individuals who came from another country and they were just they were protesting about the quality of food that they were receiving, and as a result, they they were shot dead by the the authority. And and you said that was as recently as when 2018? Did you say? Yeah, it's it's only no 2018. But since of that day, I think there's even a camp. There's another one camp. I think they removed it for another places. There's another camp for the people from Burundi when there's a war in Burundi. For them, now it's look like empty because so many of them, they try to go back in Burundi because Rwanda, no demonstration, no complaint. It means what they did, you need to say yes, yes, yes. Yeah, that's why it would be so difficult. They're thinking someone from Syria or Iran, they go to complain to Rwanda, how they will be. Another thing, that people, they make a journey to come to seek protection in the United Kingdom. They didn't, they didn't plan to go to seek protection in Rwanda. That's another issue. It looks like it's just to force people to go where they don't want to go. No, that, that, is, that is a valid point. I mean, I know we were discussing some of the, the UK government's recommendations to Rwanda, recent recommendations. And one of those recommendations was to do with victims of trafficking and human trafficking, either within or, or through Rwanda. And, and we do know that a lot of the clients that we represent in the UK have histories of trafficking and are victims of trafficking. And, and one of the reasons I've thought of that is at the beginning of this segment, you spoke about the distinct lack of economic opportunity and the fact that there's no business and there's no jobs. Do you think that there, there is a real risk that individuals who are sent to Rwanda, even if their claims are eventually granted, could fall into the hands of traffickers because of the lack of opportunity that they're met with in Rwanda? For me... Even if you took people, send them there, don't even make a processes, just give them resident permit there. They will suffer without even to go for the processes or things. Another thing the people must understand, every single day, Gwandan people try to seek asylum in different country. If that country is good, why people left every single day? I can give you an example now. I know so many Rwandans now. They are in Belgium, Germany, France, America, Canada, Australia, New Zealand. If I mention different, if, if I mention the country, there's so many countries in Africa, they still have so many refugees from Rwanda. They see, they, some countries still have so many camp, camp refugees from the people from Rwanda especially Zambia, Mozambique, different country. Why Rwandan, they don't do approach the Rwandan to show them how Rwanda they are safe, to make the Rwandan to go back, to breed the country. But the people still live every day. Now, now we make like Rwandan going, Rwandan moving, and then bring different people from another country. It's, it's something I don't know. It's a politics for UK and Rwandan government. I don't know. Do you think that those refugees who were sent there, if they face poor conditions, if they face, as she always said, lack of access to representation, if they face possible refoulement, if they face facilities that are not adequate, they will protest. That's human nature. And you say that if and when they protest or complain against such treatment, they will then very quickly become the Rwandan government's enemy. And then you say that you you know firsthand what will happen to those who are perceived to be the government's enemy. They will be like that because I know they will complain. Even here, we complain here. We complain for like the, the system, how the home office treats people here. We complain, but here you can complain 
I can use a solista, he can push, but everything they can be bad or good, but you know no one they will touch you. But there, if you complain, it will be another issue. Another thing, especially the African people, maybe the, if they send people from different countries in Africa, I know when they suffer, they will try maybe to start to find how they can go back. But it will be even difficult for them even to travel because I have a friends, uh, Eritrean friends here. They have some friends, they took them in Libya. You know, Rwanda, they now they start to save the people from Libya. But that camp and the, what they want to do with UK is totally different. That camp, it's like a bypass. They're not going to stay in Rwanda. They took them in the Libya. They took them back. They, they sent them in Rwanda. And then the different country, they come to find them where they can give them resettlement, especially like Denmark. I think they can be in Canada. They start take some, some, but they still have a different problem there, especially when they wait outside. They are not allowed to stay outside so long. It would be like a, you are in a prison and then you seek protection. Before we started, this episode, you said that you'd seen the photos of the, the accommodation centre in, in the capital where supposedly asylum seekers that reach the UK are going to be housed, right? And look, when you look at these, when you look at these photos, unsurprisingly, the, the, the place looks quite new. They have they have a bed there, they have a bathroom and so forth. And, and, and the image that's portrayed is that look, all of these asylum seekers who come here are going to be put up in quite nice accommodation, presumably with, with the funds that are sent by the UK. These individuals are going to be well fed. And I think there's been an undertaking for their asylum claims to be processed within three months, all right? In your experience, how often is it that the image that's portrayed internationally by the Rwandan government and the Rwandan authorities is actually what happens on the ground in Rwanda? Is this a government that's quite well-versed in, in portraying a particular kind of image on the international stage and doing something very different behind closed doors? Or, or, or should we believe? Should we believe the noises that are coming out of Rwanda that they may treat these individuals with an element of dignity and respect? What I know, Rwanda, especially Rwandan governments, is after the genocide, they try to quit the country and then they try to use all funding they got for different country to show they are good. They try to breed so many houses there, but that so many houses, they are so difficult for Rwandan people for financially to rent the house. Rwandan government, they make something good image to show, especially the foreigners, how they are good, how Rwandan is good. That's why they show the big and good house. They say, oh, okay, asylum seeker, they're gonna leave this house. They can show the picture. You say, wow, this is look like a five, five star hotel. But how long they will accept it to live in that house? It's not, it's not about human rights. They don't think about people. They're thinking about uh, what, for them, what, like about politics. Because like now, there's a, on June, there's a Commonwealth meeting in Rwanda. They want to show how Rwanda is good, how Rwanda they are accepted to, to accepted people. Uh, I have a, have one of my friends on Facebook yesterday. He writes like a letter to send to Rwandan president about this issue. He was explaining how Rwandan who live in Kigali or who live in Rwanda, how they suffer for different things, how they continue needs, how they can get help from the government. But today, you got to bring a people from UK 
to Rwanda, people come from different countries to say Rwanda and they have a, like a power to help them. It's totally different. There's a people who were victim of genocide, who still don't have a where they live, who still struggling. But today, you get a good house where you can put someone you can, they don't want. It's something you can think in yourself, if you are Rwandan. But I know Rwandan, no one they will comment, no one they will criticize that. But in the heart of Rwandans, all our friends, we talk behind, they, talk, they explain so many things. But you don't see any publics because there's no freedom of speech. And that, that links into the reason that we're not referring to you by, by your real name in this episode, right? Because you, you have been granted refugee status in the United Kingdom, but you still quite, quite visibly live in, in fear of repercussions for individuals that are still in Rwanda, right? That was something that you were expressing at the outset. So where does that, where does that fear come from? For you, I mean, for, for anyone who's listening, if, if you want an example of real credible fear, this is an individual who has protection in the United Kingdom and is still sitting here saying, no, no I'd, I'd rather be anonymized because of his understanding of the capability of the Rwandan government. Uh, I still live with the fear because there's oppression, intimidation, assassinated, even in Rwandan who are abroad, a different country. There's so many examples. The Rwandan still died they killed with the Rwandan, different country, because they can send anyone anywhere to do some bad for someone who criticizes. That's why we still have a fear. I'll grant the refugee here, but I'm still living with a fear, thinking someone who's there, he can't comment anything. He can't complain anything. He just, yeah, quiet. If you're not happy, you find it where you can go. That's why the people left every single day. Even, if, even here in the United Kingdom, Home officer, no, he knows he have so many cases with Rwandan here who seek asylum. There's so many Rwandans here. There's so many Rwandans in different country who seek asylum. And then another thing, Rwandan who came to seek asylum here, what, what's next? Do you think they will, they will accept it? Or they say, okay, now Rwanda is good because we send even people there. I don't know what they will do. It's always great for people, listeners, to know those who've come here and got granted refugee status, what they're up to, what you know, how they're leading their lives. But um, I, I'd like to answer that question, but I don't want you to answer it in a way that could give away your identity. So it's up to you how you want to answer that, if you want to answer that. When I go refugee status, because I've been here in suffer, I spent more than five years, no answer. Yeah, after that, now I have like four years when I got a refugee status. It's set away I find the training. Uh, now work for a CMC, a CCTV monitoring center. That's why my job I do now. Then I pay tax, I do everything. Contributed for this country. It's really something that the people, they don't know outside. That's the, what the government did try to do, especially for some newspaper. They try to show all the people come here, they are bad. We look like a bad. We look like we don't know anything. There are so many talented people suffer in this country. There are so many, but they still got problem. And then home office still spend more money for, for nothing sometimes. I don't know how it's working. It's, sometimes it's not make sense. That's, that's human trafficking. But because it's a government for the government, it's okay. The government, he wants to send people, he, he pay another country money. It's to sell people. If someone make a gen to come to UK, it means he say, oh, maybe if I'm in UK, we got a protection. But the, the issue to send people to Rwanda, 
it will be totally unlawful and then I will know it will not working. It will not stop anything. And then it will be so hard to the people who, are, who, who they send it there. I, f- I mean, sure, I, I think you'll agree. It's been absolutely captivating listening to what you've had to say and it cuts through a lot of it in a really powerful way. So I re- we, you know, we really appreciate you speaking to us. Shout out to Jamie Bell, who was your DL representative. He'll be very chuffed that you've appeared on our podcast. Yeah, we, that, that's why after, after we finished the case, yeah, we, we, we still need close because we, he loves football, I love football. If his team beats my team, he sent me a message, yeah, today we beat Because Crystal Palace beat Arsenal, me, I'm Arsenal fans. All right, thank you, my brother. We really appreciate it, okay? All right, thank you very much. Yeah.